Welcome to That One Conversation, the podcast where we talk about those one conversations that have formed us into the person we are today. You know, the conversation that you never asked for, but it was given to you anyway. It was one of those conversations that changed you to your core. And in doing so, it's created a ripple effect of positive change from that one conversation. I'm Laurie Rowe, the host of this podcast. And throughout my life, I've had several of those one conversations. And as I reshare them with other people, I've always been a bit surprised at how it changes their life too. And so it's because of that, that I'm on a mission. My mission is to create connection, community, and change through the curation and cultivation of conversation. Join me and my guests as we share about those life-changing conversations because these conversations might just change your life too. I'm so excited to have today's guest, my good friend, Carrie Wright. And we're looking at each other on Zoom. So we see each other smiling big because we're really glad to talk to each other, but nobody else can see that. Hopefully everybody can hear the smile in our voice. But I'm thrilled to have Carrie because a number of years ago when our family moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, she was one of the first people I met. She was a neighbor of ours. And not only were we neighbors, but we also worked for the same employer, Liberty University, and then we had sons around the same age. And so that just immediately kind of set us off on this path to become friends. And it has been such a rich friendship through the years. And I think Carrie has is one of my friends that says, friendships go through seasons, right? Where sometimes you're like talking all the time and other times you're just not. And that doesn't mean that you're not friends. You just go through seasons. And so that's one of the things I really admire and appreciate about this friendship is that no matter what season we're in, we can always pick up the phone and just the conversation flows naturally. We've never missed a moment. Our time has not been lost. And I think we both love that about this friendship. So welcome to the, to the show, to the podcast, Carrie. I'm so glad you're here. I am so thrilled to be here, Lori. I'm so proud of you for launching this and just being able to um, be your cheerleader and even just someone that has supported you in the thought process of this. And now it's giving birth to this podcast. So just thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. You were definitely one of the first people that I started brainstorming this idea with. And so I'm so glad that you've been able to watch the evolution of this. So Carrie and I were talking a little bit about what conversation she was going to share, because like many of us, Carrie has more than one conversation that's really guided her life and changed the course of her life for for good. I'm sure there've been also conversations that have, uh, you've had to really reframe and have had to overcome maybe the negative impact that they had on you for a season. Today, she's going to share with us about a professional conversation that she had. And I told her we may have her back some other time to talk about the other conversation that was really life-changing. But Carrie, where were you when this conversation was given to you? What was going on in your life? How old were you? You Just give us a good backdrop to what was going on. And then I would love for you to tell us about that conversation. I had just recently been hired as the career center director at Liberty University. So I was probably about 26 years old. Of course, at this point, had completed a master's degree and had um, been the first in my family to do that and reach that level of education at the time. Um, I had just left um, being a business owner had been in publishing and had we, we had a retail shop as well and, and both were very successful. I, I felt like I was really just at the height of um, my professional career. And 
at 26, right? And so, of course, I knew everything because I thought I did. <laughs> because of all these accomplishments already and the space and place that I was in in life. And so having been hired in this role, I was told you were one of eight people who had applied. And that, to me, felt so empowering and invigorating. Like, I got the job. I was the one picked, right? So I am a achiever, free on the Enneagram. Like, this all felt so good. And then my boss, we, we entered into a mentorship. And so every Friday, we would sit down at lunch. Um, we would leave campus, and we would go across the street, and we would sit in a restaurant, and we would talk professionally, personally, spiritually, all of the things. She was very much just pouring into me and investing in me. And she was in her 60s at the time. She said to me, Carrie, I need you to know something. I said, okay. She said, do you know why I hired you for this role? And of course, you know, all of the reasons of why I was more than qualified and, and obviously got the job were floating through my head. And she begins to kind of unravel what was in my head at the time. And she says to me very calmly and, and just as mild and, and as meek as she could to say, it was not because you were the most qualified. It is not because you were the most educated. It's not even because you were the best candidate for the job. <laughs> I'm thinking like, oh, I thought this was actually going to be encouraging and, and uplifting. And she looks at me straight into the eyes across the table and she says, I hired you for this role because I thought that you would be the most trainable and the most teachable. And I want to make sure that you never lose that posture of being able to be teachable. And wow, (laughs) there it is, right? So the setting, the conversation, like just all of the things at 26 and even just kind of debunking everything maybe that I thought that I had done and accomplished at that point to have it all sort of just pulled down to the, the bare minimum of I picked you because I thought you would be the most teachable. And, and in some ways it was also sort of the slap in the face of, Oh no, maybe she thinks I'm not actually being the most teachable right now. Maybe my spirit is not being willing to um, accept and receive teaching and instruction and, and investment. So it's a real eye-opener for me. Do you think that you were teachable at that moment? I mean, would you have described yourself as someone that was teachable? Definitely not. <laughs> I've been on top of the world in a lot of ways and felt like, in my, at least my professional life, that I had a lot of things going really well. And I'd enjoyed a lot of successes. I had also, at that time, been able to be the advisor of the yearbook at Liberty. And we were winning national awards, like six years in a row. And we were in the middle of that. So if you had told me that, you know, I was needing to learn something, I probably would have actually questioned that. And in a lot of ways, you probably understand this as well as I do. As a young female, I felt like I had something to prove. So I kind of came in maybe with a a chip on my shoulder or at least just a a plow in my hand to say, like, I'm going to pave the way. I'm going to to make my mark and and also, like, make this, you know, mark for everyone else around me that I'm I'm leading. And so I definitely thought that I I had a lot of things figured out at that point. Yeah, I think one of the things I love about our friendship is that we have so many parallels. When you described yourself as I had been in publishing, I had had a retail store. I mean, those are things that I've done as well. And then, you know, of course, I'm in three on the Enneagram and we often talk about the many blessings and curses of being a three on the Enneagram. I think back to my 26-year-old self, and I was definitely not teachable. And I definitely had the world figured out. I mean, there is zero doubt in my mind. You know, I think that there's an element of, especially for personalities like like what we have, 
there is an element where in order to be successful, we present and we almost believe in a way that we can do it all. There are personalities that feel like they have to learn it all before they can do it all. We're not those people. No, we're going to do it. We're going to figure it out. So that's one of the reasons that we were successful in our 20s with our careers, because we were not afraid of marching forward. We were not afraid of learning on the job and growing as we were in our professions. But if somebody had said to me at that stage in my life, I want you to be teachable, it would have it would have hit me the same way. I would have been like, well, have you seen everything I've already done? You know, and of course, there's no self-righteousness in that whatsoever. None. I want to dig in a bit to that idea of having a mentor. That in and of itself is such a gift that she gave you. Did she just offer that to you? How did that relationship as a mentor-mentee transpire? It's such an interesting question. And I don't think at 26 that I was probably looking for a mentor. As my boss, she was in this really unique position to pour into me professionally, but she had the foresight and the wisdom to be able to take me outside of even just our working walls and and have a lunch, a consistent, regular appointment that she made the most of, that I probably wasn't even really aware was actually happening um, until maybe even that conversation. And I, I would tell you that it was weeks, if not months into us just going to lunch, right? And so initially, this is me going to lunch with my boss so that I can impress her. And then it shifts to, oh no, me going to lunch with my boss because I don't think she actually is impressed with me. <laughs> and then really being, again, if I could, could use that conversation to have shifted my perspective and even just my heart to realizing the gift, as you said, that this became of, wow, she is willing to take the time to share her knowledge, her mistakes and her failures and her successes, and use that to shape and to pour into me. And so it's absolutely been something that has shifted my entire perspective for the better part of my career as well as even just my personal life and how I have continued to to take that in and want to pour into others and, and those, you know, the younger generations behind me. I've sort of always found myself, I, obviously, even at that time and in the roles that I played for many years working in higher education, always working with students. And at the time, I was only a couple years older than these students. So I didn't really have a lot to share with them. But being able to know that, that this woman literally triple my age, um, was willing to take the time to become a mentor to me. Would you say at that point in your life that you felt teachable or did you have a desire to learn more, to grow? I, I've always been a seeker of knowledge and information. I've always been a reader. I love digesting podcasts. I, I'm always going to research things. Like those, those are things that I was already naturally poised to do. Um, when it came to wanting to study and, and if it was something that I didn't know about um, as a free, I'm either going to try it and succeed or fail and never try it again, right? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I do. I don't know that I was aware of my teachability or that level of what I was actually maybe seeking or, or even needing. And I think she had the wisdom and discernment to say, you're young enough and, and also at least you know willing enough to be able to, to pour into me. And so I was going to seek information, but I don't know that I was going to actually seek mentoring and shaping. 
Well, the fact that you even had a master's degree by that age indicates that you were you were more of a learner than you were maybe giving yourself credit for, and that you are a consumer of content and information and, and self-growth. But also, I think a lot of that has probably been cultivated over the last 15 years after you got into that career. There was something else that you said about the relationship that you had with Mrs. Sherman. She didn't just mentor you professionally. She mentored you personally and spiritually. I think a lot of times the professional relationships that we have, boss to employee, we like to keep it in a box, very professional. I remember my first boss out of graduate school. There was nothing personal that we were ever going to know about her. What do you think the pros and cons are to crossing that line, um, going from professional over to the personal? And in this context as well, the spiritual side of things? Yeah, great question. And, and something that I think we probably all have to figure out in different settings and, and in different relationships. As she was my boss and mentor for about three years, she walked through the season of me going through infertility and ultimately leading to adoption. She threw a baby shower for me with my four-week-old infant son that we had adopted in the office. And so it was not just the opportunity for her to share some of um, her life, but also some of her own struggles, going through different health things with her family, going through different challenges with her grown children um, that were older than me, even that she had grandchildren. And, and so she opened her home to the entire staff and, and hosted a Christmas party. And, and she allowed us a front row seat to see that she was human. And I think in probably my 26 year old mind and, and also in that persona that I was in at the time, um, really just lacking self-awareness, honestly, and, and not even realizing, you know, if, if only I'd had the Enneagram back then. <laughs> But realizing where I was as a three and lacking the self-awareness, I, I think there was probably a question in my mind of, is this too close? Is she allowing us too much evidence into her life? And at the same time, um, she was also, because she was so open and honest with that, she was the one that was able to, to share with me something that has also stuck with me. And that, that is, you know, I remember her sharing in a devotional with our leadership team. I'm, I need you guys to pray for me. I am struggling. And this is the classic example of Romans 12, where the trouble with the living sacrifices, you keep getting up and crawling off the altar. And, and man, there's something that I am not willing to lay down. And, and would you guys pray for me? And I remember thinking like, what? She's being that honest? And we didn't know what it was. And I don't think it even mattered. But the fact that she was willing to be that transparent and that vulnerable was allowing us to understand that as a leader, we will not have it all together. We will not always make the right decision. But man, she was the first one to apologize if she felt like she had offended someone or had wronged someone or even maybe made a decision that was difficult or hard. And, and especially as a woman in higher education and leadership in the Christian circle, that was not always well received. And yet want to talk about, you know, who was actually pioneering the way it was her. Hmm. It sounds like she really led from the feminine aspect, whereas you were in a culture that was very heavily masculine. She was a trailblazer in being able to model for other leaders, male and female, of what true authentic leadership and, and really servant leadership looked like. So that's amazing. And she was your first real boss. I mean, because you had been self-employed prior to that, right? That's true. I had been a student worker um, underneath male leaders 
in higher education prior and then had been self-employed working with two females as my business partners and did not really sit under any kind of mentorship necessarily in the, the, the business partnership, but then also step into her being really my first true professional boss. So I think a lot of that has taught me as a woman and as a mom how to better navigate. And, and at the time, we had no idea what we would face with 14 years later, my adopted son that she threw that baby shower for going through many different testing trials and, and ultimately leading to his autism diagnosis and, and navigating lots of tricky waters with that. And me having to take steps back in my career and, and also realizing like I, I remember watching her do that and and do it well. And even when it was a struggle, even when the balance of I need to be wife and I need to be mom and I need to be grandma and I need to be boss all at the same time. And and she would always be the one that would say, you know, put God first, family second and career third. And I was definitely not in the mindset of needing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You left that career several years later. I mean, you were there for a while. And then you transitioned into the Chick-fil-A organization. Let's talk about this paying it forward concept. Tell us how you believe that that conversation with Mrs. Sherman really transformed you to a point that you were able to pay that forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has shifted my entire perspective, but it's been something that I've I have actively been investing in from classroom, career center to Liberty University, and now even to Chick-fil-A, I have spent the better part of the last 15, 16 years being able to invest in a younger generation. And that's been everything from, you know, guiding and shaping their career choices and their majors in college to internships to training them to become owner operators of their own Chick-fil-A's. And so as I've been able to watch that happen and invest in a lot of young people, I've been able to share that same lesson. You might be 25, 26, 27, and you may own a Chick-fil-A or be on your way to owning a Chick-fil-A. And that's a great accomplishment, but also remain teachable. And so for me, it's not only become the theme that I've tried to stay poised in, but it's the one that I've tried to share with others to continue the conversation of remain teachable. You will never at this point in life, even at 43, I have not figured it all out. I am still learning. I am still growing. I am still digesting content and I'm still seeking out mentors actively now, more intentionally of pour into me personally, professionally, spiritually, emotionally. I've spent seasons and money on counselors and coaches and books and resources to be able to continue to teach and grow myself. And paying that forward into these are the resources that I've used to invest in myself. And these are now the resources that I want to use to invest in the younger generation. And I see that in you. And you know what else I see in you is you make self-growth a priority. You are someone that walks in a posture of what can I learn? You dig in. I've watched you for many years as you've tried to figure out what your son's diagnoses were and how to make his life as prosperous and meaningful as possible. I've watched you dig in. You know, that's another thing that we have in common is that desire to figure out what's going on with our child. A lot of people have a posture of, I'm just going to trust the medical system, or I'm just going to, you know, whatever they say is whatever I'm going to do. And yet that's not been your attitude. You've definitely sought to learn, to dig in, to be taught and to teach. You know, you've taught me things about the autism diagnosis. And I wonder if 26-year-old Carrie had not been given the gift of this conversation, almost like a prophetic word, you are going to be teachable. 
would 43-year-old Carrie have spent the last 15 or 16 years developing that teachability inside of her the way that you've been able to do? Yeah, man, what a powerful question. And probably not, right? I mean, I think that that was one of those defining moments for me that God had ordained in, in being able, one, to use a person and, and her willingness and her wisdom and her life experience to teach, to shape, and to invest in me and so many others. And man, if that, if that really was the catalyst, then, um, God bless her and, and also just being willing. Um, but I do think that it is also probably what has helped continue to drive the desire to pay it forward for so many others because um, I'm often accused of saying, you know, you don't know what you don't know yet. So go find it, go figure it out, go dig in. And I love to see people discover their gifts and their talents and help them peel back the layers and figure that out of what their giftedness is and what their calling and their purpose is. And that is, that is like in my life mission. Uh, and I think that really did start with this, the beginning of making sure that I remain teachable and wanting to then share that knowledge and that hunger with others. You know, I think that it's important as we think about the conversations that we've had in our own lives and as we talk about them and share them, that we oftentimes think about the paying it forward aspect as, well, who else have I taught to be teachable? And yet at the same time, the paying it forward is the fact that the 26-year-old Carrie had a fundamental shift that so deeply changed you. When I came along and met you, I began to know a different version. You know, I didn't know the 26-year-old Carrie. I share with people about the conversation for me with when my friend said I was the fakest person he'd ever met. And people are like, how can anybody call you fake? Well, they didn't really know that version of Laurie. And we can have multiple versions of ourselves and still be the same person. That is the essence of self-growth. But I can't help but think about the way that your story in life has evolved, the way it's unfolded and how different it is because you've had the posture of teachability, because through that and in the way that you've allowed yourself to grow, you're a softer person, you're more empathetic. The way that you relate to people, people don't come to you with feelings of inadequacy. I feel like that they come to you and you're going to be there and get in the trenches with them. Those are the ripple effects happening as a result of that conversation. And then the icing on the cake is all the other people that you've been able to say or inspire them to become more teachable. The way that you lead in your family, the way that you lead in your business with Chick-fil-A, you have a consulting business, you've worked with other organizations, and now even in the women's ministry that you lead in your church, all of that is different because you took on a posture of teachability. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I appreciate those kind words. What's interesting is that it's probably also the thing that I have to fight to some degree, right? Because it's one of those things that 26-year-old Carrie thought she knew everything. 43-year-old Carrie knows that she doesn't know everything, but I still battle it. So it reminds me, and it may be sort of the thing that, that pops up, where I have to be reminded, I will always have opinions. <laughs> We'll never have a lack of, we, we shared earlier, we, we'll never run out of things to say. You and I can always catch up. I never have a, a lack of words. Um, so I'm always the one that wants to speak up and wants to share. And, and so 
there are times where I have to filter that and, and kind of ask the question of, is it the right time? Do, do I have something of value to say? And, and is it something that everyone else needs to hear? And should I give someone else a turn? Is, is this their chance? I think remaining in that posture is also what's allowed me to sort of remain vulnerable to some people and open. And that in turn, because you, you mentioned as I lead women's ministry, I ultimately have oversight over 400 women in our church, directly or indirectly, that could come through our doors through any women's ministry event or Bible study or opportunity. And so it's helping them understand, like, I'm also a real person. I hope that they walk away from me feeling that I'm going to be in there with them because I genuinely want them to feel that way and I want them to feel supported, but I also want them to feel that I'm approachable. So it's not just being teachable, it's not putting myself so out of touch or on some leadership pedestal that maybe is, is this perception or persona because um, I don't want people to think that I have learned it all and figured it out and <laughs> so you can't come talk to me. Um, of course, I will always share my thoughts and my opinions and things like that. But it's also been a matter of kind of shifting and shaping that sometimes it's not what they need to hear. Sometimes they just need to know that I'm listening or they just need to know that someone else is in it with them. I almost feel like the conversation that Barb Sherman gifted you was a bit of a double. There was the conversation and then there was what she modeled for you. And that was this idea that as a leader, you can still be vulnerable. You can still show your human personal side that a lot of times in the business context is not welcomed. In my own pursuit of becoming real, of shedding any form of fakeness, this is something that I've really had to work on through the years. And I think maybe that was one of the reasons why my first boss that was so closed to any kind of personal relationship took me off guard because I had worked at that season in my life so hard at becoming more approachable, more authentic. But I hope that people listening today, especially if you are in a leadership position, that you'll remember the power of that mentor relationship and the power of the example. As leaders, when we are open, when we relate to our team, it models for them that it's okay to not be perfect that we're human, that we're real, and that we are also in this journey together. When you take a posture of teachability in your career, in your relationships, etc., it's not just going to affect that part of your life. It's also going to affect your ability to be teachable with God. And so it affects you spiritually as well. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And having been raised in a Christian home in you know, in the Baptist church, in the Bible Belt of Lynchburg, Virginia, being a believer at, at age five, I knew, and I can still remember that day that I prayed to receive Christ. And yet not until about three years ago, where I realized, you know, I've never actually read the Bible chronologically in order from cover to cover in the, in the order that it should, should go. And then Finding some resources that help shift my perspective on, oh my goodness, I've been reading the Bible wrong my whole life. And I've been misunderstanding God in my view of him. And it has shifted me personally and spiritually and shifted my entire life and my walk. And then also how I now lead in ministry. And so again, trying to pay this forward of are you reading the Bible to see what you can get out of it? Or are you reading the Bible to see how you can find 
God and who he is and his character. And understanding that looking through and pointing to a verse and hoping that it <laughs> ministers to us in the moment is probably not the right approach. And, and why we get frustrated with God and religion and Bible and all of these things. And, and we're arguing about it because we're, we're not teachable, right? Because ultimately it's something that we have not understood. And so I think a lot of times um, it takes more work to actually figure out a stereotype or a judgment or, you know, something that has been misunderstood or maybe misrepresented. And that could go for anything, right? Like that could go politics, religion, it could go race, it could go any issue that you want to pick. It takes work to figure it out and to be able to be willing to say, hmm, I might not have had this right. I need to get curious about what needs to shift in my perspective. I'm going to do some work on figuring this out and, again, being teachable. There's one more thing I wanted to mention about how I think you've really taken Barb's words, that conversation to heart and the continuation of the paying it forward aspect because you are really a trainer. You're a teacher. You teach and train at Chick-fil-A through your workshops. You're a workshop leader. You you now are certified with the Enneagram. There's so much that now you do to teach others and to really put them in a posture of teachability. Let's talk about that a little bit more. I don't think I realized at, you know, 26-year-old Carrie that I had a gift of teaching. And I started to discover that as I got to go into classes and teach resume workshops. I became certified in resume writing and interview coaching and things like that. And so I got to go in and teach these fun topics to, you know, 400 freshmen that <laughs> needed to learn about, you know, writing a resume um, or interview skills to classes of seniors. And I really just got to the point of understanding that I enjoyed that. And then it started to come out um, on spiritual gifts testings or different personality tests where teaching was always kind of at the top of the list in terms of a skill. Now I've been able to launch my own consulting business and I do work with businesses all the time. And kind of how that started was being able to formulate some really um, powerful, I guess, training for the Chick-fil-A way, right? Like how do we hire and first of all, recruit, hire and then train a 16-year-old to be able to have a basic conversation, to treat a guest with you know, hard degree respect, like what does that look like? And so coming up with some workshops to be able to train and teach anybody from 16 to 60, you know, on the Chick-fil-A way. And then businesses started to ask me, hey, will you come in and do that for us? Will you teach us the Chick-fil-A way? And then businesses would call me back and say, we're having some conflict and can you figure this out for us? And, and so again, being a, a researcher and a seeker of knowledge and information, I would go figure it out and read the books and do the podcast work and and come up with a workshop or an interactive opportunity to be able to train a team and work with a team. And so that has definitely evolved into me being able to now teach and offer just insights and wisdom. Um, I've become certified in the Enneagram and be able to be a coach there. I do all kinds of Enneagram work with people, everything from you know Enneagram assessments and workshops to then being able to even incorporating improv and theater as to businesses and, and companies to be able to just have fun and, and learn more about self-awareness, emotional intelligence, and just really dive deeper into helping train others to do the work, to seek knowledge, and to be able to just become a better version of themselves. You could be a teacher and not be teachable yourself, but to be an effective mm -hmm. teacher that casts that vision of teachability is something that you've really had to nurture yourself. Let's talk a little bit about your relationship with Barb now and how you've been able to go back to her and pay it backwards and thank her for the gift of the conversation that she gave you. Well, it's been 
over a decade since I worked with her. But there were many conversations over a course of a couple of years that I was able to kind of go back and say, you know, thank you for one, giving me a chance, even just seeing that maybe there was a teachability in me that I wasn't even aware of. Um, or maybe she didn't see it and she was just hoping that it was there. But just being able to go back and thank her for that, thanking her for her example as a woman, for what that meant to me as a woman in business, um, as well as a mom, because she was just as supportive. Um, she was able to give me a maternity leave with my adopted son, um, was able to allow me to you know, spend a couple of days working from home when um, we first got him. And I just really, especially through the adoption process, the bonding was so important. And, and her as a, as a mom and a grandma and a, a, a woman, just understanding the importance of that. And being able to just go back and thank her for it. Yeah, that's such a gift that you've been able to see that come full circle. Carrie, I'm so glad that you've joined us today. And this has really been a great conversation for me. And I, I think that all of the listeners will also learn a lot. And I can tell that even just, you know, the glow on your face as you talk about how you've grown through this conversation is, is so rewarding. Thank you for having me, Lori. Would you do me a favor? After today's episode, would you leave a review for that one conversation wherever you listen to podcasts? Those reviews are a form of podcast currency, and they help other people discover that one conversation too. I would love to hear from you. Hop over to my website, thatoneconversation.com, and you'll find all the ways we can connect. In closing, I want to remind you that one conversation can truly change the course of one's life. In a day and age where we can access people 24-7, there's no reason you can't pick up the phone, schedule a Zoom call, or meet a friend for a drink to connect over conversation. Will you do that this week? Will you choose to cultivate the conversations in your own life?